we're reading tonight from Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know who they were, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, uh, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to, si to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that when she so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into this land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. 
But if you tell this business of ours, then, when we, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray to the Lord. God, we thank you for being faithful to your people. Lord, when you give them your word, you are always faithful to follow it through. And Lord, you have given us your word. We pray that you would open it up to us, to our minds, to our hearts, that we would learn from it, that we would be conformed to it by your Holy Spirit, that our lives would be a shining light to our community, bringing you glory and the conviction to the sinner's heart. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It may be because of my age, but every week or so, I'm suggested an article on Google about how such and such a person is so terrible because they are transphobic. Um, and it was really striking me because it's, it's this socially moving target of morality that's, that this was not in our vocabulary five years ago. Um, the morality in, in our society is this shifting wave of sand. It is constantly moving. If you go back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because the morality of society is based in our cultural gut. What is everybody feeling? What is everybody wanting? What is everybody desiring? And it's a shifting, moving sand that everybody has to surf on. And you have to keep your balance. Otherwise, you're going to fall and be consumed, and there will be no mercy for you. It's hard for a Christian, but it's harder for someone who has been surfing on that wave and doing their best the whole time, and then God shines the light on their heart. He reveals the truth to them, and they land on a solid place that isn't shifting sand. All of a sudden, everybody that they're with sees something is different. They stand out, and they have to... They we. There's a, a pressure that they're feeling that they must overcome. When we're looking at this passage with Rahab, I want to do it with new believers in view. And I want to discuss it by addressing two key questions. Uh, now, people largely will look at this, and the, one of the first questions that comes to mind is the debate over whether Rahab's lie was a sin or not. But what I would rather do is focus on a question more core to the content and the message. And that question is, why 
is Rahab honored for betraying her own people. Right? She betrays her people, her king, her gods. Didn't this make her a traitor? A lawbreaker? This same conflict exists today in the hearts of those who are converting to Christianity. Because people have aligned themselves to a way of life, to causes, to philosophies. And these are against God. And God is against those things. Sexual promiscuity is either winked at or highly praised. Pornography is so prevalent. I, I mean, a few years ago, we, started watch, we watched a, a couple episodes of Friends, and as we were watching through, I noticed every single episode had a positive or joking nudge at pornography or voyeurism. Every single episode. I had never caught that, it, it, but it, there was not an episode that went by, and it's just this kind of influence of, this is funny, this is good, this is fine, this is normal. And it's not. It's poisonous. Those are ways of life, but also there's causes. Causes like, uh, we, you must affirm homosexual and transgender identities. There are philosophies. You must be either atheist or the kind of lighthearted agnostic who just doesn't go in for that organized religion stuff. But when you become a Christian, everything changes. Your alignment is now toward God and toward the things that God says ought to be. And the people that you used to align with and support are going to feel betrayed. And so the question rephrased for the convert, how can it be right for someone to betray the trust of their friends by abandoning their support for their false ideologies? Now, you may not think of this as much of an intellectual quandary, but it is a quandary of the heart. For people coming in, or maybe even longtime Christians who want, you know, I just want to give you comfort and encouragement that your conviction is not betrayal, it is not hatred, it is not bigotry, it is you landing on solid ground when everywhere else is shifting sand. Now, Rahab's old alignment was to Canaan, the land that Israel was coming in to conquer and to take over. She was a person, of, she was a Canaanite, a woman who lived in Jericho. She had an allegiance to those people. To the people of that city she, she was a citizen of. And further than that, as someone who rented out space in her house, there were laws in place that she owed things to the king. Right In Canaan, if you gave lodging to someone, it was part of the law that you had to report to the king when somebody came into, where you, where you, uh, into one of your rooms. That way they would know if people were scoping it out. Or if it, if, uh, what, what are the comings and goings? Are there, are there foreigners in the land? 
she had a duty to the king of Jericho. And also, I mean, if we're making a list, she had a loyalty to the gods of that, of that place, of Jericho and Canaan, the false Baals. Now, not only did she have all these false alignments, but she, she, that she was aligned to, she was also in her life aligned against God, right? Against God as uh, in, in her way of life, being someone whose business was prostitution. Uh, if she had been an Israelite living like that, if an Israelite had been doing that, Deuteronomy 22 says that she would have been stoned at the doorstep of her father's house. Yet, when we read through this passage and we see her speech that she gives to the people, she shows an undeniable logic as to what she must do. Not just to survive, but a matter of correct moral choice. So, in her speech, it's, it's framed very much like, uh, it is framed as a covenant. You have a preamble, a prologue, uh, stipulations and these sorts of things. And it's uh, more chiastic in structure, which is uh, you have a central portion, uh, which is how they would have, uh, in this time, found it easy to relate. So I kind of t took that information and lined it up to a, a little bit more of a Western way of thinking, more like, Premise one, premise two, therefore conclusion. So premise one, the Lord, your God, he is the, he is the God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she proclaims this in verse 11. This is part of her conclusion, right? She has two premises at the beginning and the end of this little speech. And that is the Lord, your, the first uh, that will say premise one is the Lord, your God, he is the God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. And she gives inside this kind of sandwich the evidence for that being that God dried up the Red Sea. We heard the account when you guys left Egypt and you went over and God dried up the Red Sea and you guys crossed over it. Therefore, we see that this premise is sound, right? So premise one is sound, it's solid. God dried up the Red Sea, so God is the God of heavens, of the heavens and the earth. We see from the evidence in the account that this is who God is. Premise two is what she says at the very beginning of her speech in verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And she supports this. She makes this premise sound by saying, by referring to how they conquered the kings of the Amorites. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, they conquered them. They're on the western bank of, of the Jordan, on the western side of the Jordan, and they weren't even going to conquer them. They were just going to travel through to go to the promised land, and when they saw them coming, they attacked them, and they obliterated them. They, it says they were devoted to destruction, which in, in, the, in, in Deuteronomy says if something is devoted to destruction, it cannot be redeemed, it cannot be bought, it could, there's no, there is nothing left alive. It is flattened, it is dead, it is gone. This is a complete and utter victory. And so we see that premise one and premise two are built up. They're, they're not just asserted, they're shown to have support. And if God, if the Lord your God is the true God, the real God of the heavens and the earth, one, and two, 
that God, that true God, has given you the land, what is, what is the only possible conclusion? That God is rightfully giving the land to Israel, and I must join them or be justly taken out, put to death. She's come to the only logical conclusion based on the evidence given to her. And now this knowledge is not a secret, right? Because as she's describing it, it says that all of us, all the people of the land are melting away because of it. They're terrified. They have a great fear. These things, all this knowledge that Rahab had was common knowledge in the land, right? They were melting away because of the reports. Therefore, when they had that same knowledge, they had the same ability to be obedient, to repent, to give the land to Israel because that was God's will and they did not. Rahab was the only one there that did. They may have been afraid. They may have had fear. And the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But if it's only the beginning, what follows through is faith. Dale Ralph Davis says, Genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge. And so the people of Canaan may have been afraid. They may have known, well, yeah, God did drive up the Red Sea, but I'm not giving up my land. I just pray harder to Baal. Because they had this information, the rebellion was of the people of Canaan against God, not Rahab against the people of Jericho and Canaan. To act against the rebellion means that she did not become a traitor, but rather that she was already a traitor and she went back to the correct side, the rightful side. Because God is who all mankind are ultimately accountable to and subject to. Now, how does this relate to the Christian convert coming in? I mean, it'll look different on, based on different con contexts. In Muslim countries, if you're a Christian con a convert, you face the reality of danger of being uh, killed, murdered. You, uh, any of those things might happen to you. In our context, it's usually more along the lines of uh, guilting and uh, cancel culture and, and these sorts of things. People will oppose this change, and they will bring guilt to try to force you back into line. Now, Rahab was not a wicked traitor because... As God's, uh, I'm sorry, I think I got my notes out of order here. Forgive me. <laughs> so, 
for the Christian today, for someone who's coming into the faith, if they have spent a lot of their time in support of such a cause, of saying, well, no, actually it's right, we should be supporting the idea of homosexual identity, of trans identity, that the way to really love somebody is to affirm what they think about it, rather than to look at something that's been steady and solid and what God says about it, then if you change that position, they'll say, well, now you've betrayed me. Before you were said you were on my side. Before I knew that you loved me because you had my back. But now, now that you have changed, you are an enemy and you hate me. But you are not the traitor. You are not a traitor to them. First of all, because you can still love them. You can love your friends and family. You can embrace them without embracing their sinful lifestyles. You can speak kind words to them. You can spend time with them and pray for them. But the fact is that in our sinful nature, we are all traitors before a holy God until he brings us from the side of the enemy over into his family. And we should affirm loudly that we want nothing more than for our unbelieving and rebellious friends and family to have peace and joy and rest and happiness, fulfillment. But what we also know is that the way to that reality is by affirming God's truth and not the shifting sands of society's morality, not the wayward hearts that are within us all. We are not made righteous by redefining what is good and bad, but by trusting Jesus Christ, who forgives those who admit their wrongs and who will place their faith in him. Rahab, I mentioned earlier, by law, would have earned death by being stoned. They would have taken her to the doorstep of her father's house and crushed her with stones. But rather, she was the only one in Jericho who was not crushed by stones. Her and her father's house, who, instead of being dishonored, would rather be honored and welcomed into the visible household of God because she realigned back to the correct place. She aligned herself to God. And so what I, uh, shifting, the other question I wanted to address is this. And that is how can an outsider of the covenant become an insider? And so we'll just look at the, the text as it addresses this. The pattern that we see in Rahab if it's a big surprise to you, is believe, repent, and she joined herself to the people of God. And Rahab is actually mentioned three times in the New Testament, and it looks at each of these different points. In Hebrews 11.31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And right there in that, we see in that scripture 
is looking back and saying that the Canaanites were disobedient, right? They're not just innocent, you know, people standing by where Israel comes and takes their land. No, they were disobedient. They had the information that they needed, but they were disobedient. And it was Rahab who did not perish because she had faith. She trusted this God. She knew who this God was. By faith, she trusted his purpose and his plan, his right to be God and to uphold her covenant that she made with the spies, right? Because she, she, she made this covenant, this oath with these spies, and she had faith that the Lord would uphold it. In James, he references Rahab in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. It says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. On face value, when you read these two verses next to each other, it can sound like there's a contradiction. But we know that we are saved by faith alone. And as Martin Luther famously says, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. But the call of the gospel in the New Testament says, believe and repent. And these things go hand in hand. They're not separable. They're things that are causally related to each other. Her repentance is seen here by her working, her acting, because of what she knew to be true, because of her faith. The action was that she received the messengers, and sent them out by another way. Now, just to distinguish between faith and works as though they're separate things, if she had faith, quote-unquote, without works, which is an impossibility right, uh, right here, because if she said, well, no, actually I believe that the Lord of Israel is true and real, he is God and has all authority and I ought to obey him, so spies go up and hide in the, uh, up on the roof, and then the, the, the government comes knocking on the door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, the king says that you need to send, you know, those spies over to him. And she says, okay, they're upstairs, all yours. Now, is that, an, is that faith without works? That is actually no faith at all. How can she say she believed that, that he's the God of Israel and then just abandon them? How can that possibly be the case? Of course, the, the converse is just as ridiculous because if what she had done was more along the lines of, actually, this God of Israel is nobody. He's nothing. I'm going to stick with Baal and my people. But actually, you know, I think it's a good idea to save these guys. I'm going to send them up to and save their lives. And when they come down, they say, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done. Because you were faithful to us, we will be, thank we will be faithful to you. And she says, no, thanks. I don't really need this relationship. I don't really need your God or your people. These actions don't make any sense. Nobody would act like that. But rather, it's the faith and the belief and the knowing that this is the true God that caused her to act in the way that she did. They're 
intimately tied together. She believed and she repented. There is faith and action together in concert. And what happens after this is what we see in the third reference. Um, it's, not, it's not so much what she did to become, uh, to come into relationship, but rather a blessing from God to her. In Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6, this is during the genealogy of Jesus Christ, where it's giving the genealogy from Abraham all the way up to David, all the way up to Jesus, showing the line that God has been faithful. The seed is here. The promised king has come. And in verses 5 and 6 we read, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of the king David. Rahab is here. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. She is here in this royal lineage. Not only King David, but all the way to Jesus Christ. This Canaanite woman, this outsider, this foreigner, this nobody, this sinner is in the family, not just in a spiritual sense, but in the very direct line of Jesus Christ, she has been brought into the family. She is aligned with both God and his people. She's not an outsider anymore. She is exalted. She is, she is brought in. She is intimately close. That is because God is merciful. He delights in giving mercy to those who would repent and believe in him. And what an image of repentance of belief. She was on the opposite side of a war. Yet when she saw the evidence of the God of Israel, she, so strong, she believed so strongly that she fought for his side. Her belief guided her into repentance, a total realignment. And God brought her into his family. The same is true for you if you believe. And if you do not yet believe, it can be. Look at what God has done. That's what Rahab did. She looked at what God has done. Look at what God has done in the work of Christ. In love, he sent him to bear the sins of the world. Realign yourself to him by trusting on his promise to forgive your sins through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are tempted to wander this way and that way. We pray that you would keep us firmly planted in your word. Lord, remind us continually of your truth, of what is right and what is wrong. Give us hearts that are full of love, who look into the world and don't see just enemies, but Lord, the Rahabs 
that you have out there that are calling, that you are calling to, that you are bringing out of Canaan and into your family. Lord, we pray for wisdom, for vigilance, for love that only comes through the love of Jesus Christ, the presence of that Holy Spirit in our hearts. Guide us and keep us. In Christ's name, amen.